All right, EO South Africa, welcome to Radio, the EO South Africa podcast. I'm Richard Mulholland. And I'm Ross Drakes. And this is Radio. Hello, guys, and welcome to Radio. Um, this is our third episode, and from the guest we have, it's probably going to be the best one. Um, we have uh, lined up Justin Drennan, who has uh, started many, many businesses and is currently running a business called Parcel Ninja, but we'll get more into that uh, a bit later. Um, Radio is a podcast that features the members of the Entrepreneurs Organization in South Africa um, and shares a bit of their story and how they got to where they are. So um, let's take it away. Hey, so I'm down in Cape Town with Justin. Dude, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, guys. Happy uh, to be here. Ross, I think it's hilarious. I love that you said that this is going to be the best show yet. No basically, pressure. Basically, first of all, now Drennan is crapping himself. And second of all, Arlene and Christoph have just deleted the podcast. <laughs> Everyone else is shy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, when you ask, when you have that thing where you say, that's a good question. Let me answer it. <laughs> As a presentation coach, is one of the first things we teach people. Never say that's a good question because you're basically saying all the other people cuck. ask you questions are cuck. And all you're really saying is, ooh, ooh, I know the answer to that one. <laughs> <laughs> good question. I know the answer. Oh, okay. So that's a tough so, question. I mean, so, I mean, maybe then let me take that again. It's not going to be the best podcast, but here is about incremental improvement. So we're going to incrementally improve from the already high base that radio has started on. And we're going to get just slightly better. Love it. That's it. Okay, so, dude, maybe tell us a bit about your EO Genesis story. Yeah, EO, um, so, when you started, what brought you in? So, I've actually been EO for about, I think, eight years. So, it's quite a while. Um, and I was introduced to EO by one of the YPO facilitators, funny enough, who's a family friend. And myself, I'm from PE originally, and I moved to Joburg. And I've always worked in sort of businesses, um, predominantly corporates. And one of the corporates I worked at was quite a, like an insular business, which was uh, around online gaming. And uh, in the online gaming space, it's quite secretive. And so I was working as a software developer. So when you move from Job, from, from you know, PE to Joburg, and then you work in a software development house, you don't get to meet a lot of people outside there. So I didn't have a big network. And at the same time, I just started my business. So when you have a new business and you have no network, well, you actually sit in quite a precarious position. You have, you have, it, it's, it's quite a lonely space. And so the... Uh, YPO facilitator basically said to us, listen, maybe you should look at this thing called EO. And I was like, well, I don't know what the fuck EO is, but let's go find out. And they ended up just reading on the webpage, the website, filling out the form, and basically just went to it to hear a little bit more, and I've basically stayed in EO ever since. And I, and I will say it's actually been transformational for the, my business, and it's probably the single biggest aspect or component of the business the thing that's had the biggest impact in our business oh. <laughs> so eo because, I, because before coming to the podcast i actually sat down i thought to myself i thought you know people look at eo as like a one year sort of thing because you pay every year but if you actually take like a step back and i like the saying they say people overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10 and i think that's part of the thing so if i take my journey from when we I started eo eight years ago to where i am now it's radically different but if you look at every single year, there's not like monumental shift, but I think that, that the opportunity EO provides is actually like a long-term thing, if you take it like that. And in, for you, uh, EO is a family fair, right? Yes, my wife and myself are both actually EO members. So take from that what you will. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't meet at EO. Mm -mm. Mm. We didn't meet at EO, but also once again, she's a business owner and I said like owning a business is lonely. And it's great to be around people that, that like-minded individuals who are going through the same issues that you are having. And I think it's 
as they get transformational in her business as well. And not just business, actually as individuals at the same time. So I think it's a cool, cool can you, thing that what we can do. Can you just for a bit of context, can you just um, share share with the listeners what your business is, what you do, and kind of what your, your role is in it? Cool. So I run a business called Parcel Ninja. It's an outsource warehouse and distribution business. Effectively, you leave your product in my warehouse, you push me an order, and I pick, pack, find the cheapest courier, and deliver it on your behalf. So you actually never need to see, touch, feel your own products. And we do all the hard, shitty work of picking and packing. So all the heavy lifting, that's my job. And that's what we do. But I have been involved in a few other businesses along the way. We still have a business called Wanted All, which is an online retail business. We had a business called Superbulous.com, which is a fashion retail business. And so we've done quite a few things that are like, let's call it online. Now, my understanding so, so, is... Sorry. My understanding is that, um, that Parson Ninja almost grew out of you solved a problem for yourself with Wanted All. You built a system... And then you realize, wait a minute, if it solved a problem for us, uh, it solved a problem for other people. Can you tell me a bit about that transition? And when did you realize that Parcel Ninja was actually the business, not the support? Yeah, so I think I think like, like being an entrepreneur, you always look at to solve problems. And we had we had started our one-to-all business based on importing products from overseas that wasn't available, which is solving that problem. And then when we got involved in this, let's call it city mob slash superbless business, we identified that one of the big challenges around e-commerce is the physical distribution. And we were doing it so well for ourselves that when we invested in this CityMob Superbless business, it used to be called CityMob, now Superbless, when we invested in the business, one of the big, big things that we were bringing to it was the ability to help with distribution and logistics. Because our argument is, well, if we can bring something in from the US and get it to someone in Pofada, fuck, then doing it locally should be pretty easy. And so we said to them, listen, let us help you with distribution, you worry about marketing, and off we go. And they were having a big problem with distribution up until then. And they were struggling with like 400 orders a day. And then when we got involved and helped them with that distribution, um, the business actually grew like three times the size. Um, and that's when we kind of realized that the problem that they're having is probably a problem that quite a few e-commerce guys are having or businesses are having. And so while we're solving that for ourselves, shit, did solve this for other people. So it's, there's probably a market there for that. Little did we know that it's a slow process to find clients and it's a hell of a challenging one but at the same time we think we're solving like a, a proper problem that that's not unique to just online businesses and we've taken on about 90 different clients at the moment in online and traditional and basically just sorting out the distribution for them and we think that we do it better than almost everybody else in South Africa it's quite unique so so who would be uh, one of your customers who would sign up um, you know to to use parcel ninja well, there's, there's, there's two, two real sort of like key clients, if we can call it like that, types of clients. The first is an online retail business who's growing and doesn't want to worry about their distribution. So they just take all their products out of their small little garage or whatever and they move it into our warehouse. They then have a little plugin which integrates with the e-commerce site and they never have to worry about product again. And the second is like, let's call it uh, more traditional distributors who are trying to get into, who are trying to sort of do things better. So I'll give you an example. We do some work for like uh, USN Pharmaceuticals. They leave their products in our warehouse and have a system that integrates with us. And their sales reps, as they go to all the like sort of cycling stores or pharmacies or sort of smaller retailers, take orders on their iPad, which then pushes the order into our system. And we do the delivery to all of their small retails, retailers on their behalf. Just easier. So in the, in the kind of latter business for the startups, are you basically helping them scale? Is that what you do, that you take away one of the major constraints to growth? 100%. So we see it as, like if we look at an e-commerce business, you say, well, I need a platform for like e-commerce. Fuck, that's been solved. You install a tech, some tech for that. You say, oh, payments is difficult. 
that's also been solved. The last one is distribution. That's always a bitch where we solve that. So I think that you can actually have an e-commerce site up and running in a matter of days, which used to take months. So if you told me I wanted to set up an e-commerce site, I could probably have one up and running in the same day, to give you some context. Fully functional with the same sort of functionality that you get almost, like let's call it 90% of the way of it, like a take a lot. So it's, let's call it democratizing, commoditizing the whole sort of e-commerce sort of ecosystem. We're just a part of that. But I mean, between the uh, between the various EO members around South Africa, the IP guys, WooCommerce guys, you guys, uh, just in that little uh, ecosystem, you've got a, a fully scalable e-commerce platform in a day. Hundred percent, and it's hundred uh, percent. It's quite interesting, actually. So I, I haven't thought of it like that, but the, uh, it looks like the e-commerce and it looks like EO and e-commerce is something that's happening. But between the bunch of us, you can be up and running hell of a quickly. So tell me, uh, along the way, there must have been some real big struggles and aha moments. Uh, anything you can tell our listeners about that was something that really fundamentally didn't go the way you wanted it to go and maybe turned out better? <clears throat> well, I think, like you said, what's interesting is you said a struggle and aha moments. I think the two are normally linked, funny enough. <laughs> so through a struggle normally comes some sort of aha moment. And I think that the one that sticks out for me, um, which is the, the lemons into lemonade, I guess, um, is probably 2007, right after we had launched our import business, and the rand had gone from like six rand fifty to around twelve rand. So we thought, oh shit! I mean, six to twelve that effectively doubled. All of our products are going to double in price, which means that we're not going to have a business really. What's interesting is our revenue dropped about thirty percent, even though we doubled prices. And the insight there, <laughs> when the rand came back to six rand fifty, we actually left prices where they were. <laughs> And the two things that we learned out of that is one, that in the particular business that we're in, we actually shouldn't be going for scale, we should go for, for niche high margins. That was the one thing that we learned. And the second thing we learned is that we're actually leaving money on the table in our business by going for this sort of low margin approach. And we're actually undercharging for our service, which is something we didn't realize. And then we, then we sort of looked at it and decided that what we're gonna focus on, we're gonna focus on high LSM individuals. We're not gonna import products that are available in South Africa. We're only gonna go for very niche things with this decent margin. And basically, that radically changed the business and led us to where we are today. Without that event, I think we would have tried to build a take-a-lot style business as opposed to, it's called a want-it-all style business, which has been profitable for the last eight years in a row, paid out dividends, and it's like a niche retailer. And I think that that there's money in the niches and that's something that we've sort of identified and tried to stick to. And and what's interesting is that, is that we say no to a hell of a lot of stuff. People come to us all the time and say, can we list this product, can we do this? We say, no, not what we do, not what we do. And by sticking and staying focused, I think it works hell of a well for us. And that all came about by the rain going to shit. And I mean, that would mean that often you're turning away stuff that could make you money, but doesn't make you the money that you want to make. 100%. And maybe brings us a bit of effort or doesn't. Isn't core to what our business is. Our business is an import business from overseas. It's great that I can list your local products and I could sell some and make some money. That's not what we do. So <laughs> and you, I don't want that hassle in our life and just and I, carry on going. <coughs> so you, you think, say 99. Um, I think it's interesting that people always. Um, talk about the focusing and, and being kind of in your niche. But it sounds like you didn't end up there deliberately. You kind of accidentally ended up there and then identified that you were in a great niche and kind of stuck to it. Fuck, that's our whole business, Ross. Like, we started our business by accident. <laughs> we got involved in the city mob business by accident. We ended up doing work for MassMart by accident. So none of it is like we sat down and had a roadmap and said, this is our strategy and our core strategy and this is what we're going to do. And we did a SWOT analysis and Michael Porter's file. None of that shit. <laughs> we just go. <laughs> so when people come to us and say, Justin, where do you see your business in five years? They go, um... 
fuck Oaks. I can't really tell you what we're going to be in one year because online is quite unpredictable. But we don't really have like a hardcore, we have like an overriding like vision, I guess, on what we do. How we get there, we have a bit of a plan, but we're fairly flexible. But what I like, and to me the lesson is, it's strategy by no rather than strategy by yes. So most people have a strategy of things they say yes to, which almost removes so much focus. And all you've done is you've done a very good job of defining the things that you're not, the what you're saying no to. You're not going to be yeah. this, you're not going to be that, you're not going to be next thing. And your strategy almost emerges from that. So provided it's not, um, does this check one of the no boxes? If it's no, then you can go into that space. 100%. And there's lots of things that would make money make no mistake but wouldn't be what we really want to do right <laughs> like, but you could sell espresso machines or or 100 uh, bottled water but it's not your business 100 and even in the parcel ninja business people come to us and say oh we love your technology it's so amazing can we put it in our warehouse and we sit down we think like fuck is that what we want to do <laughs> do we want to be an outsourced software business supporting technology not really our thing we want to run a business that's what it's doing at the moment and, that, as long as you've got enough money <laughs> that's a that's a right now we're not doing that right but also maybe once your software is perfected <laughs> and everything is absolutely where you want to go and you can just package it that could be a business of the future 100% I think but that would spin off as a separate entity as a completely separate thing and the one bunch will do one thing another bunch will do another and we don't try to do everything so in fact there's there's something in that as well so you, you started off and you had uh, once it all mm. and then instead of turning want it all into a warehousing business you spun off parcel ninja as a separate one correct and instead of then doing parcel ninja as a software company it we'll might something be else. warehouse soft as yes. the other one oh. is that the is yeah something not so well, shit. i don't know what you have warehouse ninja i'm not sure, sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so something, something along something something ninja-ish but but a hundred percent i think that that and and it's delivery not, dojo <laughs> there you go but i think that i think what's important also is that it's not necessarily me that's always Saying no, <laughs> I think there's also an interesting side there because I like to say yes to a lot of things as most entrepreneurs do. But thank goodness I've got a team behind me or, or co-founders, my brother Ryan and Terence who started the business with us. And my brother will say, no, stop it Justin, this is shit, we're not doing it. Enough now? <laughs> and I'll just go, yes, you're right. <laughs> so I need someone to actually hold us accountable. So I think, that, uh, I think that's the challenge of owning 100% and doing your business your way is that if you're not willing to sort of collaborate with other individuals in your business it's quite you can get taken down a path unwillingly to a certain degree and and, and i use my brother as that person to like well terence and myself use my brother as the sort of person to just bring us back in line yeah and say stop the shit like slap us on the wrists and say no no we're not doing that this is what we do and we go, yes you're right sorry so, so can I ask, so you running, like you, you seem to be almost opening new businesses all the time and running new businesses and selling businesses. How do you split your time effectively between the different businesses without, you know, like starving the business of your attention or killing yourself? Like, how do you kind of balance that between multiple entities? I think it's, it's quite a difficult thing. And I don't think it's something that we're particularly good at. But that being said, like you end up spending your time where you end up where, where you enjoy it the most to be completely honest and so for probably like for four years we actually didn't even look at our one business at all hmm. when i say that we probably have one person that spends half a day running it and we were kind of over that business we're like this thing's never going to be huge it's not going to be a billion rand business it carries on making a profit does its thing let's leave it to do that and what we really do is spend our time on parcel ninja and then <laughs> i guess we're bored and sick of it it's like a it's like, it's like a relationship. Just. I joke about the idea. I always say to people about the importance of having an affair on your business. 
it's your business and it's back there, but every now and then you have to have a love affair with something new and something 100%. sexy. And, <laughs> there you yeah. go. So, so 100%. So we, we then took all of our time and spent it on parcel and built the whole thing and we've been doing that for the last four years. And over the last three months, funny enough, we decided to put a bit of love back into the water business, which is quite interesting. And we, myself, my brother, in terms of spent, have, have said, parcel just got it to where it needs to be. There's, there's, let's call it diminishing returns there. And we've got a team and everyone's running it and it's stable. Cool. We keep it going. Let's just go back to what we knew back in the day and spend a bit of time on our one-to-all business. And what was interesting about it is we, and one of the guys in our forum says it's quite often Dustin, who's quite a smart oak, and he said, sell the business back to yourself. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Who's that? Dustin Graham in our forum. He, awesome. He's a great guy. And he said, sell the business back to ourselves. For those of you who are listening, I know this has come up a little bit, but a forum is a, a kind of like a board of directors in EO of your life. It's a group of people that you spend, uh, you meet once a month and, and uh, share learning stories with each other. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. So Dustin said, sell it back to yourselves. And so we kind of took off and we've been out of it long enough to be able to do it. So we took a fresh new set of eyes to it and said, right. If we bought this business from these guys called Justin Turnson Ryan, how would we change this business or do something about it? I love that. <laughs> love that. And we actually ended up putting a bit of effort in again, knowing at the same time we come with like, like I guess it's, it's no sacred cows, no preconceived addition, ideas, and we end up doing our shit. And we actually ended up doubling the business in the last two months. What? Yeah, bizarre, I know. Ah, can I, can <laughs> I sell you my business? <laughs> <laughs> and that's not because we're geniuses, it's just that we let them get to a point of like... <laughs> but also, <laughs> but leaving the business for a while that you were out of love with... That's the only way to do it. ...gave you a chance to kind of fall back in love with the original business again. So you're probably enjoying it and excited. 100%. And so I spend now, like I was up until 11 o'clock last night doing one to all stuff, which I haven't done for four years. Like to give you some idea, all we used to look at is used to look at the management accounts at the end of the month, yes, we made a profit and move on. We never used to for four years. We didn't go into the detail of the business or anything. And it's fortunate enough that the business is so stable to be able to do that. But now that we put time and effort back in, it's become, uh, it's actually become a really good business, funnily enough. Awesome. <laughs> and, 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 and do you have... Um, yeah, go. Do, do you have like a way, because obviously you've left this business in the hands of someone else. Like, did you, do you have a, a good way of kind of handing it over to people to run it or, or is it just uh, that you're lucky that you found something amazing and stable that can survive? I think you can do this with every business, but that business is quite unique in that, um, in that, it, 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 uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the exact word. So, so we're quite lazy guys. <laughs> when I say lazy, it means we don't like to do the same thing twice. And so when we built the wanted all business, we automated the hell out of it. <laughs> Everything that happens in that business is almost automated. And so you can leave, you can, it was easy for us to leave that on autopilot, if I can say that. And we had individuals that were quite competent in the space, but, but one of the individuals that have been with us since we started wanted all just sort of took it over. There we go. Took it over and ran with it. And and I'm not saying it would, that they were able to grow it massively, but they were able to steer the ship and keep it going, which is fine. And that was only with four hours a day. But Wantarol is linked with Parcel Ninja, so Wantarol imports the products as a client of Parcel Ninja, and Parcel Ninja does the distribution. But, but, but to, in order to grow the business, it's a function of a lot of time marketing and being quite clever about that. And when we, as I said, sold it back to ourselves and put a bit of effort in, it was, it was quite an eye-opening experience. And at the same time, gives us the confidence to do this with other businesses, which is quite interesting. Have you committed a certain period of time to want it all now? Have you said, and, and out of interest, so when you let uh, want it all kind of dip in order to grow Parcel Ninja, mm. and now you've sold back want it all to yourself, 
What have you done? Are you at risk of letting Parson and Jacos, or have you ma- are you trying to maintain both? So we're trying to maintain both to a certain degree, but as I said, where you have the most love in the business is where you spend your most time. And right now, we're loving what we're doing at Waterloo. That being said, in my mind, we've like committed two months, the next two months, to to get to where it needs to be, park it again, go back onto Parson Ninja, and grow that one again. Of course, but also once it all is a Parson Ninja client, right? So Correct. a bit so of a self-fulfilling... Help. 100%. I think that's also something that's quite nice is with that, that the two sort of feed off each other in some sort of a way. So they're not completely disparate businesses. Um, so we do get to see what's happening. And I think it's... But as I said, like just a new or fresh set of eyes makes a massive difference. And I, and I had to chat with Ryan Bucker about this one. It's funny. Also an EO member who runs NetFlorist. And I said to Ryan, Ryan, why don't we swap businesses for a few days? <laughs> you come and run my business for a few days. I'll go run yours for a few days. And let's see what we each uncover and swap ideas. <laughs> Which is amazing because you're in similar enough industries that it would make, there would be huge lessons. 100%. And I'm not saying that. that, that so why that, didn't you do it? Uh, I just haven't had a chance to do it primarily because being in Cape Town. But I think that it's something that, like, get, like, even if you sat next to me for two days and said, Justin, let me just tell you, I've been with you for two days. This is what you're shit at. This is what you're good at. Have you thought about doing this or giving some advice or giving some insights into the business? I think would be a big thing because you've got in EO a lot of people that, are, that know how to run businesses. Why don't we get them into the business just to help a little bit? And my view is that one day or two days worth of insights could be massive. Now, tell me, so Groupon. Big client of yours, everything's going great, everything's going fantastic, and then overnight it isn't. Yes. How does that how does that affect a business like yours and how do you come back from it? Well, the Groupon sort of let me just give some context here. So we took over Groupon's business, uh, I think it was must have been two thousand and fourteen, I think somewhere around there. And the Groupon guys were doing uh, also around four hundred to five hundred product orders a day and doing a hell of a shoddy job at at delivery. Um, I went to have a chat to them and said, listen, guys, if you want to do this properly, you need like a password and you just sort your shit out. Took over their business, helped them out, took their delivery times from like 15 days to three days, took their deliveries from 500 to 1,300. We did, I think, 20,000 deliveries on Black Friday for them. And so they were quite a big client and they, knew, and they, were, they were going the right way. Then what happened is the guys in the US effectively said, listen, we need to close down Groupon um, in South Africa as well as a few other regions. Um, and almost overnight that, you like, pull all their stock and move out of the country. That were probably 65 to 70% of our business actually. Jesus. Which is a fucking serious number. And in wow. a distribution business, scale is quite important. <laughs> and without scale, you've got a bit of a fuck up. Because your infrastructure is... Fixed cost. Yeah. You pay 350,000 rand for a warehouse. Doesn't matter if you use one square meters or use all of it. And so you've got these committed lease agreements, you've got staffing requirements, there's technology built into this whole sort of thing. And also the scale that you get out of them allows you to go and negotiate better rates with all of your suppliers in order to give that discount to everybody else where your margin lies. So it's a bit of a story. <laughs> Long story short though, I think that the interesting part there is that we then had to like hustle quite hard to find other clients in, in a short period of time. That was the one thing we did. The second thing is we re-looked at all our costs within the business and see where we can do things better. Um, but at the same time, it's like we also realized that we're not going to be able to find other guys that's going to fill this gap that quickly. And so effectively, let's call it batten down the hatches, make sure you've got enough cash in the bank, and let's ride through the storm. And, and we, we had to sit down and decide, like, is this the business we want to be in? Do we believe in what we're doing? Is this a long-term play? And we decided that like, this infrastructure, these infrastructure businesses aren't businesses you build overnight. And, oh. so, and so we need to diversify our client, client base, 
go hard into the industry and basically we, we probably still aren't even a year and a half later where we used to be with Groupon, but we're in a lot better situation from a diversification perspective, clients, and we're starting to get to where we need to be. And surely once it all, doing better is raising the safety net higher because 100%. the more business that does, uh, and the higher the safety net. Correct. Is, yeah, yeah. The other, I mean, the other learning out of it, I think, is that, is that um, it's called vertically integrated solutions allow you to, to, um, to have more control of the entire process, if I can say that. So, once and all, if the volume's down, well, we can try to do something ourselves to pick the volume up. If Groupon's volume is down, I can't go to the Groupon guys and say, listen, do you mind marketing a little bit harder? I need some more volume, please. Mm. <laughs> and so, a shareholding or some sort of uh, underlying or, under, or, or ownership of these businesses does actually would help us quite a lot. And I think that's something we've looked at at the same time. Now, I imagine. Do you think the, the e-commerce market in South Africa is, is, is going to keep growing or do you think it's kind of static? Um, you know, because you've now got an interesting perspective on it from, from more than one angle, you know, from the performance side and from the kind of consumer facing side. Mm. Well, from, from, from my view, it's definitely picking up. The challenge is, is that how can you as a small online retailer compete to the big guys? And the big guys are the Woolworths, the pick and pay in, the, in the, the sort of food section, let's call it. And then you've got the take a lot, the macro. And the, and the guys that are sort of playing in the, uh, the general merchandise section. And I think the, the issue there, <laughs> and I think the issue there is that um, is the tech lock guys are taking a lot of like oxygen out of the market. They're a big player. They're, they're basically just using the sort of same strategies that the Amazon guys are using. So if you read the everything store, well, that's the playbook and how to be big in e-commerce and they're following that sort of strategy with marketplaces and, and sort of owning distribution and everything and so I think that if you're going to be a player in e-commerce you either need to have a lot of money or you need to play in a profitable niche and you must do it out of a low cost base fortunately I think there are ways to do it now a hell of a cheaply with all the tech do you think there's scope into the, the broader markets you know because obviously a lot of these stores are aimed at a specific portion of, of the South African public do you think there's any any scope in, in the different LSMs of South Africa for this kind of thing? I think it needs some radical solutions in order to service, let's call it the lower LSMs. And the primary reason for that is the cost of distribution. So even as for the big distribution sort of hub and getting scale, I mean, you can't sell a product for 50 Rand and get it delivered for five Rand. So your cost of delivery versus your basket size is something that's always going to be a consideration and you need to get, and so until that changes, um, I don't think you're going to be able to service the, call it the lower LSM or the or the cheaper product. So you can't, as I said, you can't sell 50 rand products easily because of distribution cost. Um, do I think it's going to change? It will, but it's going to take time. And I think there's like macroeconomic sort of things that we need to be looking out for there. Um, but our view is is more in niches, like rather just play in a niche and dominate that. And and I think that's where you can differentiate yourself. So in other words. If you're a camera shop versus a take a lot selling cameras, well, you can probably add some value with recommendations and filters or lenses or those sort of things. But if it's a commoditized product, I think you're going to have a hard time. That's where our, that's our, we've seen that actually. So now, just out of interest, so this Groupon thing happens, just to bring it back a little bit. Yes. Obviously, this comes up in your forum. Yep. This has to be something that you're bringing up with these guys and you're talking about. Correct. Any, anything come from that uh, when you would have brought something like this up that was uh, instrumental or helpful in you plotting a way forward? Or are their businesses too different? No, I, I, don't, think, I don't think that, that, that businesses are... The nice part about it, I guess, is that I, I think that almost everybody in our forum has had a business where at some point in time a big client left. Right. <laughs> and that's the thing. There's a shared context. A hundred percent. And so it doesn't have to be exactly the same circumstances. But as you said, the shared context does 
is where the value is added. And I think that I had varying sort of through my sort of a forum process there, I had varying sort of stories told to me in similar ways that I was able to take little components out of each story and formulate my sort of own path forward through that story. So I don't think there's a, let's call it a silver bullet. I think there's a sum of the parts is what sort of comes out of these sort of forum events if I take it like that, which I think talks to the general EO thing. It's not like, ah, I went to EO and I got this one sort of nugget that changed my whole life. It's like all these little sum of the parts all add up. And when you take a step back, as I said, you look at it, you go, ah, if I didn't have all of these things, that would have been a, a bit of a story. Right, exactly. And I think that's it. But I, but at the same time, I do think of like certain events that did happen, like from forum that 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 sort of uh, changed the direction of our business. And I mean, one of those was like when we were launching our parcel ninja business, we thought should should we own our own distribution network? And only after having a sort of a forum session, we said, no, no, we're not getting involved in that. <laughs> and you stand by that? Uh, thank God we did that. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it would have been a monumental fuck up. No, maybe then I guess. In the spirit of you learning from me and you teaching you, adrenalinism that you'd like people to take away. If there was something that, if you could broadcast to the entire group uh, of viewers, in fact, entrepreneurs out there in general, what's something that you think that you, you wish that um, people would remember? Well, I think that I mentioned earlier, and I think that that we forget it often. It's like when you, you <laughs> can't say it enough, and I think it's something that I remember now almost every single day. It's like you underestimate what you're going to do in one day. <laughs> so you overestimate in one day and you underestimate over time. And I think that when we, when I look at that, I think like, shit, you know, <laughs> every week we think we're going to do amazing things <laughs> and we probably don't get those amazing things done. But after a year, we've done some pretty amazing stuff. And I think that's something we don't pat ourselves on the back and say, well done for certain things you've done. And you constantly, uh, well, I'm constantly doubting what we're doing and is it the right thing because you look at, because there's staff involved and, you know, secure jobs. But I think it's like in general, I think in general, over time, most of us do the right thing. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Awesome. Like just chill. And also like relax a bit. <laughs> I've learned to chill a lot more in our business. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's quite a nice thing to lead into this this next question, which is like, what does sort of success look like for you? Like, obviously, you know, we're all running our own businesses, and um, businesses come in different sizes and and different um, scales. Like, what are you actually driving towards? And at, uh, is there a point or a line that you'll reach where you like, I've actually done it? Like, cool, Justin, you're going to kick it back, move to Aruba, and uh, just drink my ties for the rest of your days. Pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> well, from our side of side of things, I don't think that's ever going to happen because I think, um, like, I don't see myself like relaxing because it's not sort of in my personality and not what I do. But I do need some time to relax, um, and and I do that with some computer games once in a while, which is quite cool with Yossi, <laughs> one of the previous EO presidents. But I think that, <clears throat> that I, I like what Richard actually said when we sat down here a little bit earlier, and I don't think it was on the podcast, when he says that like, you measure your success against your potential. <laughs> now, Warren Rustand, uh, famous quote, one's success is only important when measured against one's potential. Yes, and I think that's actually something that was said quite flippantly, <laughs> but I think it's actually hell of important. So I think it's actually like a... I actually think about it a little bit more and I think that, that that am I successful I'm not I don't the only reason we have some modicum of success is because of like the people that I'm hanging around with that and am I successful well success is like like and I guess everybody talks about it you know, like it's business it's family and so many other things and am I successful probably not to the degree that I am capable of and should be 
particularly around balancing like family life because I've got a two and a half year old and a four and a half year old and work and it goes through this sort of phases I guess and and it's a it's a it's a it's a tricky one to sort of measure success I think that that I look to also sort of get some sort of semblance of myself of whether I'm doing the right thing and successful through my actual EO forum funny enough so I think that 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 we undervalue a lot of the stuff we do and it's, it's good to hear from other people sometimes that you are adding value A to their lives and just things in general in South Africa I think I don't know if that's what you're looking for Ross yeah that's, that's, that's great I mean I, I like the idea of kind of like are you actually adding value and it's not just um, chasing a, a big fat dollar check at the end of the, the month which is quite nice by the way, I think that's an important thing in South Africa nowadays. I think it's like it's uh, I'm less important in driving straight profit because there's so many other things that we can help do at the same time. It's really uh, it's something that we're spending a bit more time on in our business, hundred percent. Right. Hopefully, you can make money and do the right thing. By the way. <laughs> Hopefully, I can do the right thing. Well, you can make money and do good things. <laughs> that's a win-win. Yeah, isn't that, I suppose that's where the, it feels like that's where the kind of the global sentiments is shifting in those companies that used to make lots and lots of money by cutting down forests and uh, leaving five days later with lots of money in their pocket are um, coming under more and more pressure. And I think businesses are being pressured to to give back and actually contribute positively to society a little bit better. Well, I don't even feel um, pressured to do it. I think it's something that we want to kind of do, I think. And, 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 I, and we don't see it in South Africa yet, but it was in the US, you hear about these like triple bottom line businesses, you know? So it's like make money, help the environment and help the society. And I think that's something we're trying to do. Well, I mean, obviously my human rights business, we sell one book, we give away 10 books to kids. I mean, it's, we're still trying to get the model right so it's making money, but it's, um, it's the idea of having a business that it feels purpose-led rather than profit-led. 100%. Um, but uh, very mindful that profit is a byproduct of purpose. So we're not trying to yes. do something for free. It's not a charity. 100%. And it must be sustainable. For shit, there's no point in you raising money to go make some books to do good and then you need to go raise money every single year. Let's try to build something that's sustainable in that Quite space. Uh, create an engine. 100%. And there's the engine for good is, I think, is, is, is a great way to put it. And, and human rights is exactly that example. I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really great story, actually. I think it's also a powerful thing for a team to kind of get behind. You know, if people believe in your purpose, then they're willing to put in the extra hours, they're willing to work hard, and they're actually willing to contribute to make the business a better place because it's not just a, a profit-making machine. I mean, we've had lots of experience with that at, in nice work. Yeah. No, and, and, and I think that knowledge workers are incentivized by money at the end of the day. Money is important, don't get me wrong, but paying them 15% more is not going like, to drive that much better work. Knowledge workers want, as you said, they want purpose, they want something that's exciting, they want to have some sort of part of a business or something broad or a bigger thing at the end of the day. That's definitely how I I'm not even sure if it's, I'm not even sure if it's just knowledge workers. I think every worker, I think every person, no matter what job you're doing, likes to, to feel that they're actually contributing to something. With yeah, a I remember, you know, that story about the, when JFK, you know, the NASA guys were really struggling to, to get the rocket uh, to take off and the mathematicians were working with all these things and JFK kind of galvanized it around this central sense of purpose he did that speech where he said you know we're going to put a man on the moon in a decade he said we're not, we're, not, yeah, we're not going because this is easy we're going because it's hard yes. but the kind of story went that um, and it was actually another EO member Greg Mumson from Kokakia was telling me this the other day and he said that um, you know he remembered seeing and uh, the, the story was this one scientist walked in not after that and he walked into the laboratory and it was late at night and he saw a guy mopping the floor. And he said to him, you, what are you doing here? He said, well, sir, I'm putting a man on the moon. 
And it's that idea that it didn't matter what part you did to the guy who cleaned the floor at NASA and the person, you know, all the different purposes were about putting somebody on the moon. And that's something that people can get behind. You know, that's something that this guy truly believes. I think it's uh, important to try and make sure you lead with purpose. hundred percent. So I think that's that's critical. And I think one thing that we do in our business, which is slightly different, and, and I mean, we run a warehouse and distribution business. So it's not <laughs> sexy. So it's blue-collar workers doing things. And people often ask us, they say, Justin, how do you, like, reduce theft in your warehouse? And I go, we pay our people properly. <laughs> it's like you can put in security cameras and all sorts of fancy things and search the guys, etc. Or we can just pay them what they're worth (laughs) (laughs) and make sure everybody's happy. Fuck, it's not that difficult. (laughs) And because of that, we have far less theft. And it's funny that everybody asks that question. And when you give that answer, they're like, oh, shit, we didn't think about that. But it's so bloody obvious. I think that that it's, that's why I said that coming back to that knowledge worker comment there, I think that once people are over a certain threshold and the hierarchy of needs have kind of been met to a certain degree, then then they're okay. But but when you're working in a warehouse and you don't have, let's call it a livable wage, well, then you've got a problem. Right, because... Yes, yes that's, how, that's exactly what it is. And so let's just eliminate that problem from them. In the same way, we gave every single staff member medical aid. Because you don't realize that, that if you get sick and you have to go to a government hospital, you're going to have a problem. And so in the back of these people's minds are working in a warehouse, they're always thinking, Fuck, if I get sick, shit, I might die. Or there's going to be an issue with that. Well, let's eliminate that problem out of your life. <laughs> now, I get that you did it for that reason because it's beautiful, but I guess the, the natural side effect is that people don't want to lose this job. They, they don't want to lose this job. They don't get sick as often. They come to work. They're happy to come to work. They're getting paid a decent salary. And because of that, we have far less theft than any other warehouse assistant. And I imagine turnover, far less staff turnover. We don't have staff turnover. The guys actually enjoy working there. It's bizarre. At the same time, I'll tell you another thing we did which radically changed our staff's lives. We went through every single staff member in the business particularly in the warehouse, and we went through the expenses every month and helped them draw a budget, put together a budget. Wow. And when you see how much so some, cool. some of these guys are spending on funeral policies and all sorts of other ancillary things, garnishing orders and that, and you help them go through the process to fix those issues, suddenly they have more money. So in other words, paying them more doesn't fix the problem because paying them more just means that they give more to Edgar's. <laughs> did you did you get somebody in from outsource to help you with that, or did you guys just take time? Because I mean, uh, actually, what so, an amazing business! So, so, so no, I think it is, is. I think there's a great business opportunity. Guys, there. we're starting this business. <laughs> Forget this podcast. It's elite. This podcast right now. <laughs> but I'm telling you, it's, it's similar to what Clark Gardner does with like squashing garnishing sure, boards. Absolutely. But, but having some semblance of financial fitness within blue collar workers is critical, and no one's ever taught them anything. So when every year we used to increase the salaries to pay them more and their, their living standard did not go up. And it wasn't because, because of inflation, because above inflation increases. It was because they were getting into more debt. And so we went to the person and helped them squash their debt. Suddenly they had better lives. And when they had better lives, they don't need to steal. Wow. <laughs> and it was a big thing we did in the business. Was, I, I tell people that run businesses like that, if it's in the food industry or restaurants, I say, just do two things. Pay properly, teach them how to manage money. And you have great workers. You know, I mean, we could have done an entire podcast just on this issue. It's it's so yes. compelling and so relevant to all of us. Like, it's there's so many things I could do better in my business just on hearing this. And it's it's fucking easy to do. It's not difficult. Right. <laughs> you don't have to be a rocket scientist to do this thing. I actually went and did it myself because it also gave me insights into what my staff are going through every day. How did your staff take to it? Did they not feel no, they like loved Big it. Brother or no? They loved it because they, because suddenly the CEO of people are giving a shit about them. First thing. Second thing is no one has ever given them this amount of time and this knowledge in this particular industry and they don't have anybody to help them. 
where they're going to go. They're going to go back to where they live and, and ask their friends how to do this. No, no one knows. So my next comment to them is I said, now that I've taught you this, <laughs> your job is to go home and teach others this. <laughs> and I think that that's helped them in the business. They've gone to their, back to their family members and helped out their family members in the same way and improved quality of life back at home as well. Because you'd be shocked. If, you, if you've ever gone to a domestic worker, sit down with her and do the same thing. Just a domestic worker. She's right, she's close to you. She's at home. Most of you have one. Sit down with her and ask her for her expenses every month. Work out how much of her salary that you pay her goes towards transportation. Accommodation. For my domestic worker, I pay for her accommodation now. <laughs> and and I give her a great salary. And 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 because I think it's important if I can say that. But people have to be able to like have decent lives and, and it doesn't help for the CEOs to earn a huge amount of cash and for other people to be struggling. Um, I mean, you've got to pay yourself what you're worth, don't get me wrong, but I think that this you can make differences in people's lives way easier than you think. It's not a difficult thing, I promise you. Just go, go ask a domestic worker for a breakdown of a salary. You'll see. It, it'll actually blow your mind. I think that's such a lovely kind of sentiment to, to end the show on. Um, you know, there's kind of a challenge to each one of you to, to see if you can make a small difference in the people who uh, work for you's lives. And, and it could be quite a big and meaningful thing to do for quite a low um, time incentive. It will take you like so, half an you. hour, Ross, and you suddenly understand a lot more about their sort of life situation. I've got this thing, I guess it kind of leads to that. I'm actually doing a video on it next week or two. And it's uh, instead of having a to-do list, you know, everyone's talking about their morning journal and what is there. You know, the, oh, all these people got these routines and things. And I've come up with this idea of just creating a to-do better list. And every single day you start the day and you look at three things you did the day you did yesterday and think, how could I have done that better? Mm. And it's just, just this idea of having it to do better. And just listening to you right now, I realize 20 years of running a business and almost everything in that realm I could have done better. And I could just take one of them. <laughs> and, mm. and, but it's so nice because you talk about falling in love with your business again. Sometimes hard to fall in love with selling to another client, moving more of the same. Mm. But I mean, something like this, a project like this, I could fall in love with my business for six months over. Yeah. That could be a six month love affair, just sorting out how my, my, my team think about expenses, how they're you know helping them get sorted out. Definitely. And at the same time, solve a business problem, increase the sentiment of the entire organization, yeah. which would drive the other things. 100%. It's not, it's not a big thing, but it's, it's, it's actually fundamental to our business. So what it actually led to, Ultimately, and I guess this is where it's maybe going, it led to a feeling of camaraderie within the business that everyone cares about everybody else, um, that management cares about the people. And when it comes to Christmas time and we say, listen, guys, fuck, we're behind on orders. We need some help here. Can you stay for an extra hour? Everyone says yes. <laughs> they don't say no, pay us more, etc. They're like, cool, we know what this is about. We know what this is. You help us out in our time of need and we'll help you out. Don't worry. What a That's great place to end. Thank you very much, Justin. That was a, a really good, um, good episode. Rich, do you want to close us out? Yeah, guys. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the radio podcast brought to you by EO South Africa. Uh, tune back every two weeks to get a new episode to hear the stories of entrepreneurs. As always, thanks to our sponsors. Uh, we have Exec Care. We have 10XE and Bidvest Car Rental and Bidvest Car Sales. Bidvest McCarthy. <laughs> there we go. There it it's is. Close. Got to get it right. it's, it's close. Get it's close. It's the other name. The other brand name. <laughs> uh, but for what it's worth, I actually used them this week, which was really, really cool. So thanks very much, Bidvest. Uh, I appreciate it. And uh, we're using 10XE again in a few weeks. We've got our monthly forum. We do a forum uh, a medical together. 
So we all go in and we dedicate an entire forum next uh, just to health and to health, goal, health goals for the year, which is pretty exciting. So thanks very much um, to you guys and thanks to all of you for listening. As always, please be sure to let us know if there's any stories you have or people you know of in your forum that have an amazing story to tell. We would love to spread that story far and wide. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for listening. For me, goodbye. Cheers from Justin. Cheers from Ross. Thank you very much. Peace out. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Radio, a podcast by the Entrepreneurs Organization in South Africa. If you are an entrepreneur or are thinking about starting a business, go to eonetwork.org to find out more. Thanks to our partners, Bidvest McCarthy, Bidvest Car Hire, ExecCare, and 10XE. You guys are amazing. Special shout out to the Global Communications Committee for helping make this podcast happen. Brian Bros, that feeling you get when you've just pulled off a really successful pitch. Catch us in the next episode, which will be out in two weeks, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Catch you in the next one.